Radio Days Africa podcast is brought to you by the Vids Radio Academy. All right, there we go. We are ready to go, unfortunately. Um, that video meant to kick us, it didn't quite kick in them. But good afternoon to everyone present. Welcome to day three of the Radio Days Africa 2020 conference. Uh, my name is Rafilu Mbaganyane. Of course, I am your host. I'll be hosting the panel discussion this afternoon. And I'm so glad that you've been able to make the time and, of course, to register and to join us. Now, the sessions, this session's topic goes like this. You'll all have seen it, of course, as you registered. Africa is a continent that thrives with hubs of local communities that inform and support each other. And the flow of information and news is key to ensuring these communities form part of the global community. And uh, the Local Voices Community Radio in Africa session is going to be looking at just that, helping me unpack the importance of community radio, various elements that go into making community radio success Successful and uh, how to improve it where possible is um, Tabang Fusoyabone. He is the Secretary of the National Community Radio Forum. Afternoon, Tabang. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for joining us. All right, Tabang will unmute himself very, very shortly. Professor Franz Krieger of the Vist Radio Academy uh, is also, is also uh, joining us. And I must say, as one of his previous students, Prof, I really, really uh, enjoyed being in that classroom. And uh, hopefully we're going to get a bit more of that knowledge just being dropped, sprinkled onto us throughout this session. Uh, we're also joined by a journalist. Uh, he's a designer of media projects in crisis and post-crisis zones, which means he spent a lot of, the, a lot of time uh, all over the African continent doing some really interesting work. Uh, Director at Media Expertise, Jean-Luc Mutusami. Jean-Luc, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Really privileged and to be with you. It's an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation. Um, and I, I guess fundamentally, when we talk about local voices, when we talk about community radio, the, the fundamental function of community radio is to encourage a multiplicity of voices, right? To encourage a multiplicity of views as well, um, as well as to deepen democracy or to solidify democracy um, and, and to educate people. And I wanna start off by posing a question to all of you, um, which is, um, which is, oh, by the way, if you have any questions or comments or want to send uh, your comments via voice note, uh, here's the number to send it to 072, 079 rather, 528, double zero double zero so it's oh seven nine five two eight double zero double zero it's right there on the screen thank you so much and of course uh, any other comments that you want to send throughout the conversation do so on the chat function um in the meeting but uh, to get right into it i want to start off by asking all of you uh, gentlemen when you look from your vantage points um, of the experience that you have in working in community radio what does community radio look like? What is the beauty of community radio when it's done well, when it's successful, and when it is achieving its objectives? And I guess in many ways I'm asking you what the real function of community radio is. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Taban. Well, I think um, that, that community radio must be participatory. It must be rooted in the community itself. It must not be serving a passive community, but an active community. That community must be able to participate in the decision-making of the process of that organization. So AGMs must, must, must be regularly held. Uh, community programming meetings must be regularly held. These are directed in the uh, regulations. These are part of the regulations that uh, the community radio sector must observe. But also the people who are going to be the presenters and staff members of that radio stations must be coming from that community, must be trained by that community radio station. In that way, we are able then to say that this is a functional and a developmental community radio station. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in its ideal, all those things are happening. And, you know, I'm curious to find out then from you, Jean-Luc, what, what's your ideal um, scenario for community radio with your own perspective of having worked in very difficult and or dangerous environments and circumstances? Yeah, thanks. And professionally for me, I can say that there was a life before and a life after community radio stations as I'm yeah. more from a 
private media background. And um, I think the voice of communities, this is what community radios are and in local languages, and we'll, we'll touch, we'll, we'll talk about this yeah. uh, today also. It should, community radios should speak, and this is what they do, speak about the realities, the real, the real life realities of communities, which are not always taken on, on the national scene. But I would just, just to give you an idea, when I when I saw the community radios first, it was on the western part of Congo DRC. It was a real wow kind of wow effect, and I saw a yeah. kind of all-in-one in these small structures where you can see proximity, you can see credibility, you can see trust, and this mm -hmm. is what makes this these kinds of radios and these media special. Yeah, yeah. France, your take on the beauty of community radio when we get it right. Where have you seen it in action here at home? Well, thanks for that, um, uh, Refilwe, and, and it's it's great to be here and also to have to be part of this discussion. Um, I wanted to use an example from a, a very small place called Serenje in um, in eastern Zambia. Um, I was there doing some work uh, with BBC Media Action, and there is a community radio station there. It's a very small place. Um, it's on the big road between Lusaka and, and Dar es Salaam, the, the, the Tanzanian port that, um, that serves so much of Zambia. Um, but it's a small town, thunder, you know, the trucks are thundering past, but the town itself is really very, very small. And there's a radio station there. Um, they operate under incredibly difficult circumstances. When I got there, um, their SDL had been offline for about a month. Um, the parts, you know, the parts have to be shipped to, uh, to to Lusaka for repairs. Their main branding, as far as I could see, was that their frequency numbers were cut into a little hedge outside the building that they used. Um, so they'd been off air. There's nothing to do. You know, every once a day or so, they would drive out to the transmitter site um, and play uh, some audio off a, off a memory stick or something like that. And they'd set up a WhatsApp channel. And this is what I think answers your question. Um, they set up a WhatsApp channel for the community and they used it. They called it Serenje um, Local Radio News or something of that sort. And they used it both to get information from community members around bridges that had, had been uh, had been washed away uh, around various issues um, and also to feed out information. And interestingly enough, local councillors and local politicians were using the WhatsApp channel to respond to claims, to respond to allegations and questions and various kinds. So sure. to me, was an incredibly innovative um, way of actually dealing with the fact that, in a sense, their core business was impossible for a while. That's, for me, the kind of energy, the kind of local commitment and the innovation that makes uh, community, that shows community radio at its best. Mm. And, you know, we come from a very unique, um, a very unique history and circumstances here in South Africa where we saw a proliferation of uh, community radio stations, um, uh, you know, on the cusp and with the advent of democracy in our country. And I suppose that speaks to um, the very uh, reason for the NCRF, the National Community Radio Forum existing, Tabang, um, and, and the, the reason that you were established from our perspective, um, Tabang, I'm, I'm keen to hear from you what um, what the successes and the key uh, the key the key need for community radio stations here in South Africa, because we've got a multiplicity of languages, and as uh, Jean Luc will attest to, and I'll, I'll hear from him in this regard, when community radio works. It also speaks in people's languages, in, in people's colloquialisms, and people's vernacular, or way of the way that way of living, um, and response to that. So Francis pointed out how that WhatsApp group was also being used by local politicians to respond, to be dynamic and flexible. How flexible, or what what is that key ingredient that allows a community radio station Tabang to be flexible, to be able to respond to the needs of its community? How do they get, how do you get that right? Well, well, uh, as as part of the programming setup that community radio station must have, is to have the programming teams or those that you call listeners groups mm -hmm. the people that are able to provide you with instant feedback about the program that you are doing but also people who are able to feed uh, the creations of your content 
where you are able to have the content uh, symposiums with the community, especially the, lo the, the local uh, uh, NPOs, NGOs that are dealing with day-to-day -day issues within your community so that you do not create content from the boardrooms, but content is actually led by what is happening within your communities. That is, that is how you can make your radio stations to be more reflective of what the community is about. Mm, mm, mm. And to that point, Jean-Luc, you know, in terms of some of the training and the work that you've done, for instance, in Niger or even Senegal, um, you found it important for local languages to be used in that instance. What does it do for a community to be able to have information disseminated to them in their own language, but in a way that uh, is there a validation, essentially, that takes place when uh, the media or radio day or broadcasters sort of deign to speak to people as though they are equals because they are equals. Yeah, thanks for mentioning this, this um, experience from Niger and Senegal. And actually, this is really what, what, what showed the importance of local radios. I was working with IOM, with the International Organization for Migrations on this issue of, of um, migration and young people taking <clears throat> buses or going on small boats to, to just try to cross, cross the sea. And, um, and of, in fact, the radios were, were putting on air lots of messages which were in foreign languages for, for those who were in these, in these areas. And, by saying foreign language, you can see, you can immediately know that many listeners think that foreign languages bring a foreign agenda in, in what they want to what they want to say and the kind of messages they want to bring. So the idea was to keep the same journalistic quality, but in local languages to speak about um, testimonies of those who left and who succeeded, and those who left and who didn't succeed. So it was the best way for the communities first to understand what was happening and also to trust the voices that they were hearing. What sure. they could hear was true and was, what they could hear was not baked in, let's say, a Western country to tell them not to come in their, on, on, in their capital cities, but to stay in their places. So the, it was very important to have these local languages on air so that people could trust the information that was given, and it was also said by people in their communities, so um, they could be trusted. They could, they are reliable. So this is really key in these situations. Mm -hmm. France, in our, in our, um, in your work that you've done at uh, the Vitz Radio Academy, you you did actually do a poll of uh, of the community radio landscape here in the country. And that was last year. And you're going to share those some of those slides with us. But could you tell us what those sort of key takeaways, um, those key takeaways were from, you know, the poll that you that you conducted, but also what South Africans are using community radio for? So are we primarily looking to it for education, for entertainment um, in, 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 in our, from people that we know in our communities? Um, thanks, Sophia. Uh, I mean, just to start um, at that point, I mean, I think that, and Tabang will speak, uh, you know, will have more to say about that, but I think people use community radio stations basically for everything, um, for information, for, um, uh, for, for, for local news, for boosting local culture, and all of that kind of thing. Um, but if, if you don't mind, I would like to just uh, give you a very quick um, tour of what we found because I think um, the uh, you know we 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 did we were we embarked on this exercise because we felt that there was a lot of information um, that was not that was not really known about the South African community radio landscape. So okay. we did a survey. We sent out a questionnaire um, to all of the stations that we that we could identify. We didn't get answers from all of them, unfortunately. We'd hoped we would. Um, but um, that was simply not possible. And of course, it was also at a time when ICASA was, was, was tightening up on their, um, their rules and a whole lot of stations were taken off air. But mm -hmm. I find the results in the form of an interactive map on this website, localvoices.co.za, um, and anybody can have a look at any time. Um, so the first thing that you will see is that there is a map of the country um, with uh, clusters of different kinds of radio stations. You can zoom in into a particular area. Uh, we can go, for instance, and look at what's going on in, in, in Bloemfontein. 
in and around Bloemfontein. Um, and we can highlight also the different kinds of radio stations that exist. So we have community radio stations, um, uh, as well as campus stations, ethnic or religious stations, as well as entertainment stations. I mean, these are not the usual categories that ICASA uses to, to describe radio stations, but um, we felt that this was a useful way of understanding them. You can click on a particular radio station um, and then you will get some more basic information on the, on the left-hand side. Um, you, so we then broke down some of the results that we got. We got um, some information about the distribution of the radio stations, the types of radio stations. And what is interesting, um, among other things, is to find that, you know, the community radio stations also, in fact, um, cluster around where the money is. So you have far more radio stations in Gauteng, the far more radio stations in, in the Western Cape, around Cape Town and KZN. Um, interestingly enough, there's also a cluster in the Platinum Belt. Um, and we think that that's probably also because there is money uh, from the mines and, and, and from resultant activities there. Sure. Um, I mean, it was interesting to see size. Uh, I mean, one of the things that emerges on the, on, on the community radio sector is really that they are very large stations. I mean, giant is, of course, Josie FM with, Josie FM with uh, 571,000 um, weekly listeners at the time that we looked. Um, and there are 14 stations around the country that at that time were over 100,000 listeners. And that, you know, for a comparison, that's a size that puts them comfortably ahead of a number of public um, commercial radio stations. So just to interject right there at that point, France, if you don't mind, what do you think that sure. tells us about the potential then for community radio? Um, and of course, you know, if someone is looking at this with a sort of a profit, a profit making I, they might, they might be look, they might think of that exactly, being able to make money and perhaps pivot to a commercial bent. But what, what other, what other um, potential lies in those big uh, sizes of, of the audiences? Well, I think it tells us that, um, you know, that there's a huge demand and that a lot of people, you know, want to listen to community radio stations. I think it also tells us um, that, yes, there is substantial amount of money there. Um, we tried to get a sense of what the overall budget is, and we got um, various kinds of information um, from different stations. We're not quite sure that it's very reliable, but we think that in the overall sector, there are probably some, somewhere between 100, uh, 150 million rand that's coming in the door and going out again. Of course, you know, in terms of investment, you're asking for investment. You know, it's not, a prof it's not an enterprise that you do for profit. Um, that's pro prohibited by law. Um, but I think what, what, what you're raising, and that is one of the takeaways that I wanted to get to, is mm -hmm. that I think underestimate the local economic importance of these stations. Um, they play an enormous importance um, at the local level. Uh, they are a kind of small uh, or medium enterprise uh, facing all of those kinds of challenges. And I think until we understand that that is also part of the nature of community radio, uh, we won't really get to grips um, with the sector. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if I can just also just highlight the point about languages, I mean, which uh, Jean-Luc uh, highlighted a moment ago. I sure. mean, the sort of languages that are spoken on South African community radio more or less mirror um, the languages of the country. Interestingly enough, we also find um, languages uh, like Arabic, Urdu, German, Portuguese, um, but then very interesting to me was the fact that we found that there are a number of languages that are not officially recognized um, as languages of the country. Nama, Isimpondo, Isiputi, Isiklubi, and others um, that are spoken on these stations. And I think that speaks to a kind of local uh, identity. Um, you spoke with Jean-Luc earlier on about how valuable that is to speak with people in their own languages. So those are some of the findings. And I mean, I'll, I'll stop the share there and we can take the discussion where it is. But I think that there is a huge diversity that we're finding um, in, in, in the sector. Uh, and I think we're only beginning to understand the extent of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, that was a lovely presentation, by the way. And uh, um, congratulations on the lovely work that you guys have been doing. To, to move to you, Tabang, what France points out is the cluster, right? We see there's just a high proliferation of um, community radio stations in Gauteng and then in KZN and then followed by the Western Cape. And 
it seems that community radio, it, as France says, community radio stations are concentrated around where the money is. What is also inhibiting um, the occurrence of more community radio stations in other outlying areas or in rural areas, uh, Tabang, is there a legislative um, hindrance that we might be seeing there as well? Or should we be talking about the funding models uh, for community radio stations as well? Indeed. Um, look, I think the, 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 first, the first question should be addressed this way, that hmm. one, would, one would think that there are communities where there's not so much resources available in that town or city, but there's a cluster of many community radio stations in that area. I'll take Kimberley, for instance, it's a very small town. Um, one radio station will struggle to, to be sustainable, but you find that four or five radio stations were licensed by ICASA um, unfortunately, the other two could not even even start to to broadcast. So, so it was a question. There was a time when the regulations were of such a nature that once you provide, once you make a submission of the application for a for a community radio license, a customer must either approve it or provide you with reasons as to why they cannot do it, and those reasons must be legal reasons, which was difficult for ICASA, obviously, to provide legal reasons other than the sustainability yeah. of those radio stations in the area. Now, now regulations have slightly changed. Um, you no longer submit at any time. You have to wait for an invitation to register for the applications. And then you can only apply once you have been registered. So it, it's much more tricky and difficult, but also ICASA now can direct which communities can apply. So in the past, any community can apply. So if, if, if I'm unhappy at one radio station, I can leave and create my radio station. So that could have been the other contributor to the cluster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With regards to uh, the, the question of funding, we can acknowledge that the FDA, which is the, fund, the, the funding agency from government, has not really received much funds. And there was a period where actually uh, the MDDA had just gone silent. Now, the media development agency is supposed to be strengthened, to be provided with more financial resources, so that radio station does not receive grant once in 10 years but they, they are able yeah. to receive grants on an annual basis to ensure that the sustainability, because running a community radio stations comes with uh, resources. You need resources, you need studios, you need to be able to service those studios, you need transport to be able to go into communities to collect the news and provide quality content. Mm. So, you know, I, I guess we can we can park the matter of the MDDA um, and, and circle back to that um, and, 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 you know, the issues that have they found themselves being embattled with. But Jean-Luc, I know that the issue of funding of community radio stations on the rest of the continent is one um, that you're especially passionate about um, and one which can be cyclical for a lot of uh, stations, community radio stations, based on what's happening, uh, good or bad, in those communities and in those countries. Let's talk a little bit about that and an interesting conversation that you had with someone in, in community radio who essentially was saying, sometimes, you know, good, bad news is good news when it comes to funding. Yes, and um, at the same time, funding is one of the things that, that's necessary. And we, it's true, we're talking about community radios working for communities, but with no money, even if most of those who work in these radio stations are not paid uh, for what they're doing, but most of them, they're doing it for their communities. It's true that there are lots of, of running costs and uh, transmitters yeah. don't work alone. So uh, it's it's a lot of, uh, it's a huge issue. But as you were saying, um, when I was in, in Senegal, uh, we were having a chat with some community radios uh, in, center, in the center of the country where most of the youngsters were leaving and trying to migrate 
and uh, they were telling me that uh, we were just, and I hope I'm not going to shock anyone, we're just waiting for another Ebola because with Ebola, they got a blank check from international organizations to, yeah. to do lots of campaigns and to do lots of health campaigns. And it was for them uh, huge sums of monies which were poured into the radio and helping obviously the radio to, ex to exist. And now with the COVID-19, and we're talking about, about this today, um, there are lots of opportunities, in fact, for, for radios to be able not just to inform their populations, but also to be able to get some funding to put some money aside <laughs> to, to face hard times. So, yeah, money is an issue, but um, we were talking about commercial radios and community radios. In fact, they also broadcast yeah messages from organizations but also advertisement in some cases sure. and in many places let's take congo where you have more that's the the democratic republic of the congo where you have more than 600 uh community radio stations which are registered and many radios are not registered um for some people or some organizations or some uh, trademarks to be able to be known inside the country, they had to go through these radio stations and, and uh, offer them uh, like advertisement and also a kind of presence on their, on their radio stations. Yeah. But even if some radios are not allowed to broadcast advertisement, there is no way to monitor them. So this is what they, what they try to do. And uh, it's, they're all in, on a kind of survival mode. And just mm -hmm. this morning before this conversation, I, I just chatted with my friends from Kasongo in Maniema in the Re Democratic Republic of the Congo, and also another friend who is in Dakar in Senegal. They were telling me that they are surviving and they're trying to survive. And obviously COVID-19 brought some, let's say, new means to survive. Uh, and it's, it's always in hard times that community radio stations uh, can get some more easily funding than in other periods. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly, um, that's a really macabre um, reality, unfortunately, Jean-Luc. But maybe you can also talk about the fact that in, in those, uh, speaking of Ebola, in those countries that were, um, that were hit by the, Ebola, um, by the Ebola outbreak, in many ways, COVID-19 has, has allowed them to essentially just pivot their ability to um, to create public service messaging, and they didn't have to reinvent the wheel, as it were. Were those countries better able to respond to messaging and spreading awareness and education about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I think that most of these countries are drilled. They know they know how to face these kinds of problems, uh, be it Ebola or any kind of of even when they are when they have. Uh, um, let's say winds, uh, cyclones, etc., uh, or hurricanes. They they are able to cope with these situations because this is what they do every day. There is no what we call today a new normal for them. There is no normal <laughs> in their everyday yeah. life. So uh, normal for them, it's it's a it's a it's a kind of word that they don't really know. So yeah, they were able to to react quickly. Um, in a very qualitative manner, I must say, and um, truly some, some of them called me and they said, how can you help? I said, I have not, nothing to, uh, I, don't, I don't think I can help because you know more, because you, you go through this every day. And um, even if we, we can give some technique, we can just listen and say this will work, this will, I don't think this, this one will work. But they, they know how to, to cope with these kinds of situations. And they've done a tremendous job. Because mm -hmm. once, once a radio station is trusted on the Ebola outbreak, when you come with uh, COVID-19, what they're going to say about COVID-19 is going to be trusted. And uh, if you bring in a new player, or if you say, okay, you let's, let's broadcast now a foreign radio saying, or telling, telling stories about COVID-19, it may not work. And uh, I think they've done a great job today, even if it's hard, but at least they're able to give, to give the realities. One example, if, you, if I may, um, in the COVID-19 situation, most of, of messages say, wash your hands. Okay, but if there's no water, yeah. what, what should they do? If there's no solution. And that's the reality here at home yeah. as well, absolutely. If, if there's no solution to, to, to disinfect your hands. So they have to find ways of boiling water, of, of um, 
trying to 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 put themselves in situations where they can really effectively do uh, the preventive take the preventive measures. Mm. France, you know, from your perspective, um, here in South Africa and a community, well, actually, in, in our region, community radio stations uh, during these times of COVID nineteen and this pandemic, is this a new opportunity for these community radio stations to establish themselves as local authorities and to better find ways to be um, a trusted supplier of information, of news, of public awareness uh, in, in during these times. Look, I think it's it it is an opportunity, but at the same time, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say that the current situation is incredibly tough mm-hmm. um, for for local radio stations. I mean, for the media generally. I mean, we've seen huge companies in this country uh, cutting back. I mean, Media Twenty Four a couple of days ago announced that they were cutting titles, moving titles online, retrenching staff, um, and I think community radio stations are caught up in that difficulty as well. There is just, you know, the economy is hit very hard and there's very little money available. Um, so I think with the right kind of support and with the right kind of models, yes. Um, and I would be very interested to hear from Tabang what he hears from his, from his members. Um, but my impression certainly is from what I'm hearing is that a lot of community radio stations are either off air um, or only just on air for a few hours a day. So until you've kind of overcome those immediate difficulties, it's very hard to make use of the opportunity um, that I'm sure there is. Yeah. Uh, to that end, Tabang, you know, building on to what Francis just said, what um, in terms of the, the, the membership of uh, community radio stations under the purview of the, NR, uh, the NCRF, what kind of numbers are we looking at, first of all? Um, and as, as Francis is asking, how, how are they faring during this pandemic? Well, in, in, in South Africa, the National Community Radio Forum has got 161 mm-hmm. community radio stations as members. Um, that's the quick audit that we did this week. And that is of the 182 that is currently on air. So it, it shows you that it's about 88% of mm-hmm. the community radio stations that are our members. But... but this 88% is 24 hours on air. It's regularly on air. They are providing content to their communities and engaging content, quality content uh, to their communities. Um, I think there is sometimes uh, an attempt to portray community radio as this reckless entities that um, don't want to do what they are supposed to do. But community radio in South Africa, actually, they try their best, largely to, to comply, largely to ensure that there are processes in place um, and that they remain on air. What, what we have done, what we have seen, I mean, in the Northern Cape, just recently, we, we've tried to build the partnership even with governments to ensure that they are able to continue with their programs that requires community participation. In the last time we did a youth in Daba, just at the end of June, where the, the, the premier of the province was able to interact with the youth and the youth were able to interact with him. And, and, and it was all on radio. People who do not have data were able to listen uh, on radio and even make calls and participate on the show. So that's the role that community radio is playing even at this time of COVID-19, where governments, municipalities are finding it difficult to get to the communities because of the regulations that are in place. So they use community radio to host their meetings, to be able to talk to their uh, constituencies about the, the, the developments that they wanted to bring. I'm curious. I'm just, I'm just going to interject there, um, Tabang. But was there any, were there any requests um, from your members for added support, uh, in ter- whether it was information or how to message? Was there any request for added support from the NCRF uh, from your members during this time who were concerned that they needed to get the COVID nineteen messaging just right? Indeed. So we, we, we did provide uh, some requests to the Media Development and Diversity Agency and 
they did come through. Uh, there was support uh, for for the month of May. There was support for the month of June, sure. and we hope that the support will continue. Little as it may be, it really goes a long way in assisting these community radio stations to remain sustainable and be on air. So, so um, although um, at a local level, what we have seen is that local businesses have actually uh, struggled and have pulled out from, from their advertising contracts sure. with stations. But national business has been really, or at provincial level, has been coming through, especially those that want to provide messaging around COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, which is completely understandable, I guess, the uh, business not being able to come to the party any longer. I'm curious to find out then um, from you, France, and, and your take on this when it comes to um, the support that uh, community radio stations have received from a legislative perspective or even from um, a broadcasting authority perspective. Are community radio stations given the requisite support that they need in order to be as um, to be as successful as possible, or even as useful as possible to their communities? And I guess we can come back to you, Tabang, and talk about um, the tussle you had at the end, towards the end of last year, with the uh, regulating authority, licensing authority, CASA, and those forty-three radio stations. But how are we faring on that front, France? Well, I mean, I'm surprised to hear Tabang say that um, there. I mean, unless I'm misunderstanding him, he seems to be saying that there is no problem in the in the sector; everything's fine. Um, right. a different body the other day issued a call saying um, the commu- community radio stations are really struggling under COVID, and they need um, extra support from um, you know from government. Uh, to, there was a story published on the media online just a little while ago. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think there there are difficulties there. Um, I mean, the NPA has put some money um, aside, especially for for the circumstances, um, and one obviously welcomes that. And I think that there is a second tranche um, that is that is due to be paid out. Um, do, are they getting requisite support? Well, I think that um, Tabang will tell you that it isn't enough. Um, there has long been a call for the government to honor its promise of spending 30% um, of its advertising spend in community radio. Um, I think that the reality is that um, it's, never, it's never enough. Um, I think we do have to recognize that, that quite a lot of government money and government support does go into the sector, um, not only through the MDDA, but through provincial governments, through municipal governments and all sorts of things um that 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 do support the sector but it's never enough i mean there's you know there's enormous need out there and as i said earlier i think we do have to accept that um you know community radio plays an important community role of community service but they are also smmes um they're also small enterprises that are struggling um in communities uh, where you know there isn't a lot of money to support enterprises like that um mm until we recognize that and get our heads around um, that side of, of, of community radio. Um, I think uh, we're going to, you know, the, the, the discussion really goes around in circles. Yeah. And, and to that point then, Tabang, last year um, you had, we had about 43 community radio stations um, being faced with the prospect of closure um, because of a debacle around the licensing reapplication process. And you did engage with the CASA Tell me about what that process looked like and, and what the relationship then is uh, between uh, the community radio stations, uh, the NCRF, as well as the regulating authority. Well, so, so from, the, from that time, the story was that the, there were 43 radio stations that had defaulted in submitting the uh, license renewal applications on time. Uh, Most of the stations submitted late and those stations that submitted late then had to to be switched off by ICASA, um, which actually ICASA proceeded to do. But from the lessons that we took from that time was that there was a need for us to amend um, section 11, subsection 9 of, of the uh, Broadcasting Act, 
which then would allow, because it actually allowed, it allowed commercial broadcasters mm -hmm. and the public broadcasters to be able to renew their license even if they were late submissions. So sure. only community radio could be punished uh, by the ultimate punishment of revoking the license. So, so that's how bad it is, but we agreed that let's 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 bring the brains together let's let's work together in ensuring that uh, we also allow for community radio stations to to to, to receive a second chance mm. if they submit their applications late i mean there, there's, there's much a... more that can sorry any sense of why there was such a punitive approach taken well well i think there there is there is a there is an, a sense of people wanting to say that community radio does not want to comply. Once we get them, we must make sure that you know we make an example with them. People forget to look at the kind of contributions and and some of the stories around compliance, although some of them might may be true. There is a lot of stories that are actually just manufactured around the non-compliance of community radio, which are actually just support are created to create an image, a negative image of community radio. But but with that, it really tells the, the regulator to say that you are toothless, you don't do what you are supposed to be doing. And community radio is being projected to be this kind of animal that is is not compliant uh, as opposed to your commercial broadcasters and the public broadcaster but you go and look into the commercial broadcast space and, and the public broadcast space you will see shocking non-compliance that is happening there far worse than what is happening in community radio so 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 i think that is the kind of the spirit probably that uh, ikasa had to want to show that we are doing something about this community radio. Rafilwe, um, can I ask, ask Jean-Luc, I wonder whether, from his experience of other countries, what the relationships are like between community radio and the regulators and the, sta and the state? Oh, this is, <laughs> this is always a tricky situation in most of these, in most of the places I've worked in, let's say, if I take um, DRC, South Sudan, Sudan and, and the um, Central African Republic, most of the regulators would like in these countries to hear the official voices on these radio stations. And sometimes I get, um, it could be, it's quite tricky. I can take one example in Sudan where we were working with community radios and we just said to the um, to the local authorities that um, these radios are, are just uh, not, are not voices that we hear are not foreign voices, but local voices speaking local languages and talking directly to communities. Because we thought that as foreigners or as people coming from Europe or other play, other parts of Africa, um, the, the situation would not be acceptable. And the local authorities just said to us, it's what make the what what's the real problem? This is even more dangerous, they said, because <laughs> you're talking to these local local people in their local language. So you don't it's impossible to control that. So there is there are regulations and it's good that there are regulations because some radio stations can change over time and and especially during electoral periods and uh, and when 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 candidates want to take over some radio stations or fund them so that they can campaign for their for their elections so it's extremely important to have uh, regulations but at the same time there is this freedom of speech there is this necessity for people to voice what they feel and what they are going through which mm -hmm. is not really heard on the national scene so uh, it's a kind of hide and seek in some places if we have the <laughs> local authorities or with yeah. the re local regulations but as they all try to stick or most of them most of of those with which i worked try to stick to some really strict charters of ethics of journalistic ethics so we can make sure that we, we are quite sure that what they are trying to do is is um, in line with uh, quality journalism or quality quality broadcast but it's not an easy 
relationship, not an easy one locally and also on the national scene. Yeah, absolutely. Given this, uh, obviously, it's on the getting the sense that on the continent, um, we absolutely do understand the power of local voices. We absolutely do understand the power of uh, community radio. I'm curious, though, to find out in terms of and, and speaking of a relationship with authorities and or being able to access support and resources. Um, something you touched on is that in so many areas where community radio stations are able to be established, are set up, might even get the funds um, to, uh, to start to operate. Infrastructure can be incredibly problematic and the maintenance of that infrastructure is something that a lot of community radio stations on the rest of the continent struggle with. And of course, here at home as well, as Tabang has indicated. Talk to me about your experience with that, John Luke. Yeah, the, in fact, the, the radio stations, they always, most of them, they start in small houses and sometimes in, in places in a, in, a, in, a, in a living room or in a kitchen and they, they start to grow and um, it's true that money is, a, is an issue they, they try to get to get funds from the communities first and uh, their budget is kind of is made up of uh, hybrids of it's a kind of hybrid budget with lots of sources uh, it can be advertisement it can be also international organizations who need to uh, to broadcast uh, public service announcements psas and uh, they try to find a kind of of balance between these sources of of um, revenue but there's also one one issue or one element that is a reality in these in these radio stations or in these places. I, I will just show you a picture to illustrate sure. this. And um, yeah. probably we can, we, we can just, I can just show you this. This is a, this is a, a, a radio station, which is, which is based in Bambari, which is, which is the voice of Waka, Bambari in the Central African Republic. And uh, this is a radio station that was created in, in uh, you, as you can see, you can see on the, on the left uh, uh, batteries, which are for solar panels. You can yes. see all these cables, which are really well made and which, which really, they, they really put all, all their, all, I mean, all, all what they can get from the communities, even the table and all the equipment were, was given by international organizations. And then in Bambari, which is in the center of the Central African Republic, there is a major security issue. And today, this is what happened to this to this radio station. And, uh, and you can see this. It was completely looted, completely looted overnight. Nothing is left. The batteries were taken, even if the solar panels were still were still on the house. But the batteries were taken. The uh, the tables were taken. Everything was taken. Just the cables are. Or left today, and this is and this is the situation where lots of, of radio stations that lots of radio stations are facing in these areas. So there is the issue of money. There is the issue of getting getting training because there are lots of training given to these radio stations. And I know that many international organizations count on these radio stations for uh, to be able to implement their projects because they train these. Um, the, the journalists, the announcers, the presenters, but there is this issue of security, which can turn a radio off air uh, and um, on any time. So yeah. it's a reality in these areas. And even if, and for them, it's difficult to get funding also because they cannot guarantee that the funding and the, and the structure they're going to put in place is going to last. And to touch on that, um, to touch further on that, maybe expand on the function and the beauty of uh, a community radio station is the ability to skill local communities to give um, to give members of the community uh, access to worlds that they might otherwise not have been able to access, right, by virtue of those skills. What kind of training generally have you been able to um, do in those uh, in, in those communities, for instance, in the Central African Republic? And I'll, I'll take one example of in Mwanda in, in the west uh, in Western Congo DRC, and um, we were I was working with with these journalists. Some of them were were really older than I am, <laughs> and the, one of them who is um, is sixty years old told me um, when I asked him what what would you like this training to bring you because this is finally what we want want to have after 15 days or two weeks or three weeks just ask them what what are you expecting from this from this training and he said to me i would like to write news as just as radio france international does and i looked at him i said this is your reference and he said yes 
I'd like to be able to broadcast like Radio France International. So, okay. So we, we had these three weeks of work together and we, the idea at the end of the training was to build a news bulletin, a new news bulletin with new jingles that we made together. And it was really very participative. And in the end, he recorded his, his, um, his the report and he yeah. listened to the news. And uh, the next day he came to me and he said, this, is, this was my dream. Now I know that I can do just as Radio France International does. So he was yeah. able to report like his models, what he was listening to. So the trainings we were given was first to tell them that there is no uh, big radio, small radio. They, they are journalists and they are people presenters or people going on the air who can bring to people what's happening in their communities or this proximity that lacks in many areas, in many regions. So yeah. we were writing together, we were voicing things together. We were also working on the technical part, on the, on the editing part, because sometimes um, the editing was not, not really good. And uh, most of the times, I'll just give one example, they were cutting all the times people were breathing. So you had a kind of, of lineup of words, no, no, no breath taken in between sure. sentences. And, and they were saying, you know, we had to stick to one minute. So we had to take out all these little things where people were breathing. So I said, no, no, radio is about talking about real life. So you keep them. So all yeah. these small things that became really huge afterwards because after 15 years when I contact them they always remind me what I was telling them and they they said to me that there was a before and an after which is always good for a trainer but it's great for those who are listening and those who contribute to these radio stations that they know that they are in in a professional environment even if it's a community radio and yeah. this is what we try to do as trainers. So, France, to come to you uh, and to build on what Jean-Luc has been talking about, the real impact uh, of community radio stations on its listeners and on its communities. We're talking about the transference of skills um, and the training of community members. But, you know, what, what else does it look like um, when, it, when we're getting it right? Well, all of those things. Um, I mean, you know, when, we, when we're getting it right, then uh, it creates a space where local communities can talk to each other, can debate issues, um, uh, can complain about things that worry them, can get information about whether it's health information or um, you know, some, something about government subsidies or sub government you know, uh, support of some kind. Um, that, that's the sort of first level of things. Secondly, I mean, the kind of things that Jean-Luc has alluded to, the training, the skills development, and I think particularly in South Africa, that's an undervalued part of community radio stations. I mean, if you, if you go into the commercial and public radio space and you ask around, where did you start? Time and time again, people will tell you, actually, my first exposure behind a mic or in the back room or selling or, or news or whatever it is, was on a community radio station. And that's a, an enormous contribution where young people particularly gain that launch them into, into the job market. Um, and I think the other thing, and that I think hasn't been as discuss discussed as much before, is this real local economic impact. I mean, the, you know, we, we, we tend to think of community radio stations as, as working on a shoestring, and they do. Um, but nevertheless, there is some spending locally. There are stipends being paid. There's somebody being paid to cook lunch um, on a day-to-day -day basis. There's somebody who comes in to fix the electricity. Uh, you know, those are all, you know, that, that is a, a measure of economic um, building. I, do, I must say that at the same time, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that community radio stations, because they are such a scarce resource, can be sites of contestation. I mean, in South Africa, we've had examples um, of huge conflicts between boards and management. I mean, yeah. I was showing that picture of a station that was robbed. I mean, here we had a station that was, that was burnt down. Karabo FM in Sasselberg some years back. And it turned out that they'd been burnt down by um, people who were sent by the local mayor, in fact, who was yeah. never charged as a result. So, you know, these are, it's, it's a complex environment, um, but certainly there are huge contributions being made.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in some way I was going to ask you a question from Claire Mawisa asking about uh, the advantages of community radio stations over their commercial counterparts when quite often they're viewed as less than those commercial radio stations. But I think in many ways you've answered that question unless you'd like to expand. Yeah? Um, no, that's fine. I'm good. Okay. Um, and to move on to the next question um, over here in our chat segment, um, Alvin saying public and commercial radio stations are requested to supply monthly supply compliance reports to ICASA uh, for monitoring purposes so that they ensure they're meeting their license conditions. And this, this question is definitely directed towards you, uh, Tabang. Are we, are we being misled by, uh, by these broadcasters um, and but, and when you say that they're actually not compliant, uh, ICASA as a regulator are very particular that radio stations meet their license conditions. Uh, can you answer that question, Taban? Well, um, community radio is expected to provide the same. So there are monthly reports that community radio is providing, but the narrative is still there that says that it is the worst compliant tier of broadcasters in the country. So I, th I think these this are just stories that are being flouted without, without uh, you know, looking at the kind of compliance levels within the community radio. I can tell you that the, the level of compliance have, have changed. In fact, just recently, um, the government communication information system was, was dealing with a project where they used to procure only about 65 community radio stations because of the level of compliance at the time. But now the budget has to double because the compliance has gone beyond the 100 uh, radio stations. And, and they didn't have that kind of money. They had to request community radio stations to you know, to half or to, to reduce their rates. So it shows that compliance is actually even much increased in community radio. So it's not only public broadcasters and commercial broadcasters that are expected to submit monthly reports. Sure. Jean-Luc, a question from, um, a question here from Rehomuditwe Mbutle asking, how do we make sure that community radio stations are around in the next 20 years? And I guess that's in light of this pandemic, which has basically put paid to a lot of spend, ad spend, for instance, and made conditions in general difficult. And uh, perhaps after if Jean-Luc gives us a little bit of time, uh, we can move on to the rest of the panelists. What are your thoughts, Jean-Luc? Oh, you know, it's always difficult to predict. Uh, 15 years ago, lots of people were saying that community radio stations will have to be converted into private radio stations because they are not sustainable, <laughs> still here. And I think in 20 years' time, they will still be here because as long as communities in certain areas, I don't know well how this is in South Africa, but in these conflict areas where there is most of the time no access to the national networks or the national um, broadcaster it's uh, these community radio stations will still be alive kicking alive and they will still remain that invisible link between all these people inside these communities being able to to know what's happening outside outside these their closed world and also being able to to bring in information because this is what they need and one thing which is very important they are most of them um, broadcasting in on fm but in lots of areas where i was in in these places in these countries most of these community radio stations were getting their source of information through shortwave shortwave radio um, the, on on the and they could listen to lots of lots of stations be it the bbc be it in south african radio stations or etc so um it's important to know that these radios they want to they what they want is to to develop themselves but this idea and this this um i'd say identity of community radio stations i think will still be there mm. if you want to take up the last 20 questions uh, 20 seconds france how do we make um, sure they stay alive? I, th I think um, I think they will be alive. I don't think uh, the, there's any question about that. Um, mm. They have space. They have the local support um, in many cases, and uh, yeah, they'll be there. Mm. All right, fantastic. 
Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about and interrogating the state of uh, community radio stations uh, in here in South Africa and across the rest of the continent. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you as well for our audience for um, registering and sending through those questions. Uh, you can do the same thing again tomorrow at two o'clock. Uh, tomorrow's radio day session is called Ask the Program Manager and that will be moderated by Neil Johnson. So don't forget to go on over and register. Thanks so much to CAS Media as well as the Vits Radio Academy. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, Jean-Luc. Thank you, Tabang. Thanks, France. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining this Radio Days Africa session. Click to watch or download the podcast. That was a Radio Days Africa podcast brought to you by the Vids Radio Academy.